as big as God is. Prayer is just as strong as God is strong. Prayer can reach as far as God can reach. Don't ever give up. Just pray, just pray. potential is yet to be known. There is no limit as to what God can do. So just keep on praying. He's listening to you. And prayer is just as big as God is. Prayer is just as strong as God is strong, prayer can reach as far as God can reach. Don't ever give up. Just pray, just pray. Don't ever give up. Just pray. And prayer is just as big as God is. Pray just as strong as God is strong. Prayer can reach as far as God can reach. Don't ever give up. Just pray, just pray. Don't ever give up. Just pray. tonight we're still in our series so fellas guess what we're finishing up today but we're going to start a new series next week called true riches true riches and in true riches we're going to be utilizing kind of the similar format but not quite the same but we're going to have uh, we're going to be utilizing some help here with visuals as well next week as well so we're looking forward to that but uh, let's go ahead we'll get this down and we'll get started tonight you can go ahead and bring that up, brother. That'd be great. <clears throat> Let me just mention real quick here as well, and uh, not, not to try to discourage anybody, not to be a downer tonight, but uh, the Dixons are going to be moving on. They're going to be moving down to uh, North Carolina. All right? I know that's a bummer. I know, I know. Trust me. I know. But I want to give you a heads up. I don't want you to hear it secondhand, Okay. And they're going to be moving on down there. They've got a job set up there and everything and uh, looking for a place and making that move. And, you know, those are the kind of things that happen in life. And so we want to continue to pray for them as they transition from here to there, okay? So make sure you're praying for them. Um, it's, it's going to be rather quick, potentially. We'll see. We'll see what happens with their house, that kind of thing. But we had an opportunity to meet today and get a chance to talk some. And uh, just uh, we're going to miss them greatly. But uh, as we go down, we got RTTC. We're going to be ex just utilizing all the talent we can out of their family before they leave. And so we're looking forward to that. And so that'll be good. 
And uh, so you be praying for them, as I said, all right? Well, let's go ahead and get things started tonight. <clears throat> We've got a great uh, lesson tonight, I think. And uh, I don't think it's great because I'm, I, I created it. It's, I just plagiarized it. Literally took it right out of the Bible. So uh, <clears throat> it's going to be good, okay? Because it's out of the Word of God. Um, Romans 15, 4, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. I guess if there's one thing we ought to learn from this series... After every week, this will be the, the 20th one, all right, the 20th person or, or, or group that we've discussed. But out of this series, I, I suppose the one thing we ought to learn is that we should try to learn the easy way, not the hard way. That, that's of all things, because we talk about that every week as we kick this off, okay? <clears throat> oh, you got to turn it on. I always do that. There we go. All right, so we started talking about Eve, of course, and this being our last week, we'll just review very quickly. Cain envied his brother, ultimately blamed him for his circumstances. He didn't take responsibility for his own actions. Lot made the mistake of thinking he could get close to the world without the world rubbing off on him. He thought he could flirt with sin and still remain spiritual, found out otherwise. Abraham grew impatient with God, took matters into his own hands. None of us have ever done that, obviously, and uh, hopefully not or ever again, but unfortunately it seems we do that often. Aaron miscalculated how quickly he could get away from God, made the mistake of turning to idols. Korah, in his pride, made the mistake of uh, opposing God's man. Moses' uh, mistake was that he let his anger get the best of him, and he miscalculated how far his anger would take him. Uh, that's happened a few times, I'm sure. Samson made a tremendous mistake. He lost sight of the source of his power, God. He miscalculated. Uh, he would go out as before. Didn't happen, did it? Didn't happen. You know, we can get kind of arrogant and prideful like that too, can't we? Israel made the mistake of asking not counsel at the mouth of the Lord and miscalculated the enemy's desire and ability to deceive. We saw Jephthah. Jephthah, an interesting man indeed, made the mistake of speaking before he thought. It cost him greatly, greatly. Think before you speak. Rehoboam's mistake was that he did not respect the experience of the old men and exhibited contempt for them in their counsel. Big mistake there, by the way. Extremely big. Cost him his kingdom at least part of it. Jehoshaphat's great mistake was joining with the wicked. Israel's great mistake was forgetting God and his works. Jonah's great mistake was that he ran from God and he miscalculated God's reach. You can't get away from God, no matter how hard you try. Israel made the mistake of removing the ancient landmarks and miscalculated the price of doing so. <clears throat> You've got to keep those landmarks in place. Judas made the mistake of viewing his relationship with Jesus as an opportunity. And that's sad. We do that. I find that very, very common in Christianity. We look at our relationship with God as an opportunity, somehow to gain from Him. In reality, uh, that's, that's not why we get saved. That's not why we should serve the Lord, to get. We ought to do it because He's God. Nonetheless, He saw it as an opportunity, and as such, He betrayed Him ultimately. He miscalculated the high price of selling God out. Peter made the mistake of placing his confidence in himself and not the Savior. I've never done that, have you? <laughs> I better say I have because I've got to get struck with lightning. Ananias and Sapphira made the mistake of believing they could cover up their sin and miscalculate the consequences of lying. Agrippa made the mistake of rejecting Christ and miscalculated its consequences. Now, today we're going to talk about the mark of the beast. All right, there's going to be a group of people that are going to receive and accept and take the mark of the beast. All right, now, again, before we're done, we're going to talk about it from a couple different perspe perspectives. But first of all, as we get started, we need to understand where it fits in time. 
And so I want to kick it off by saying that the Antichrist is going to rise to power, obviously, after the, the rapture of the church, and we'll, we'll, we'll note this in just a moment. But he's going to ascend uh, in authority and power because of flattery. He's going to use his tongue. He's going to be a man of swelling words. He's going to really be able to grab hold of the, the, the crowds. He's going to be able to get the ear of the people. Uh, he's going to do a fabulous job of that. He's going to be, I mean, a silver-tongued politician. And it's going to be amazing how people are going to fall for his lies. And yet, we have to realize and we can never forget that God's going to send uh, 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 lies, delusional lies. You know, people are going to believe the lies. Okay, so it's going to be double-fold, a two-edged sword. First of all, a tremendous uh, speaker, orator, but also God will assist him in that regard. And people will believe his lies. He, assure, he assures the people through a covenant. Obviously, God's people who enter into a covenant that will last, will be a seven-year covenant. Unfortunately, in the middle of that covenant, he's going to break it. Uh, he's going to uh, ex- demonstrate astounding uh, uh, miracles. I mean, it's going to be an amazing time when, you know, we think about Christ in his time. When he was on earth, he was doing a number of miracles. People were just astounded at what he was doing, what he was accomplishing, how he was healing, and so forth. Well, the Antichrist is going to have what appears to be supernatural powers as well. As a matter of fact, in the middle of the tribulation period, after he, uh, prior to his uh, <clears throat> um, rising as a uh, uh, you know, excuse me, before the mark of the beast is uh, given, he's going to receive a deadly wound. And when he receives that deadly wound, he's then going to rise again or appear to rise again. If some would say he will rise again from the dead, others would say it appears that he rises from the dead. Either way, it doesn't really matter. The fact is that people are going to believe that he has supernatural powers. I mean, this guy is going to be amazing. And he does have some supernatural powers. He's the devil, you know. And uh, that's why even uh, Michael the archangel didn't make a railing accusation against him, and neither should we. Uh, We've got to be careful. He arises, uh, he, he arises Satan again in the middle of the tribulation period after receiving that deadly wound, and uh, he's Satan incarnate. That's all there is to it. He is Satan incarnate. So <clears throat> anyway, we see that taking place. So in the, course of our, uh, in the course of our lesson tonight, we're going to look at this situation a little bit, receiving the mark of the beast. And there's going to be people that will receive and accept that mark. And that's going to be a, mis- a horrible mistake, obviously. And uh, we're going to take a look at it and see what we can't learn as a result of it. Let's have a quick word of prayer and then we'll move on. Father, we love you. We thank you, Father, for all that you mean to us, all that you do for us. Thank you for this great group that's gathered tonight tonight, uh, for the express purpose of gleaning from you and your word. Again, Lord, uh, uh, we realize and recognize that the world isn't getting better in the sense that it's more clean, more pure, more holy, more separated. Lord, the reality is, is that it's becoming more grossly uh, enamored with sin and Father, we need to, uh, God's people to draw close to one another, to, to Father, uh, just in, be encouraged and exhorted by one another. Father, more importantly, we need to be encouraged and exhorted by you and your word. Help us tonight. Lord, may we learn lessons, Father, that will help us in our Christian walk in life. God, we need you. We love you. Bless the service tonight. Speak through me. Help me to be your mouthpiece. Lord, I don't have anything to say except you give it to me. So, Lord, use me as your tool. Uh, Father, we pray that you just be, Father, with the people of God, and may you anoint their ears as well. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so as we get started, we want to consider the timeline. Of course, we have the cross of Jesus Christ, we have the resurrection, we have the, the, the church age, and, and we've noted this a few times in our previous studies, but I think it's always good to be reminded of the timeline. It helps us to put things in perspective and to rightly divide the word of truth. And so we see the church age here, of course, represented by the seven churches, and then, of course, uh, following that, we have the rapture of the church. And again, the rapture is a taking away, a catching away of God's people, those that have put their personal faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And 
the moment that takes place, uh, we are assembled up there in the heavenlies with uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And while uh, the tribulation is taking place on earth, there's going to be a judgment seat taking place in heaven. So we're going to be being judged at the judgment seat of Christ, not for our sin, but for our service. That's important, okay? Um, so um, <clears throat> I, I put it this way uh, recently. Not, we're not going to be judged based on... Uh, it, we won't be going before God to see whether or not there's condemnation, but instead for commendation. That's the real reason for it, commendation. God wants to give us our reward. Okay, so the goal of it's not to condemn us, but to commend us. All right, that's the real reason for the, the judgment seat of Christ. Now, obviously, there'll be some disappointed people uh, if we've not done our human best, filled with the Spirit, to obey and follow and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. So while that's taking place in heaven, the judgment seat of Christ, on earth is the, the tribulation. Now, the tribulation, as you'll see here, split in half. Three and a half years, three and a half years. Okay, the reason for that is, is because, of course, there's tribulation, and then there's great tribulation. And so... What happens is in that first three and a half years, as I said, Satan's going to ascend to power. Once he ascends to power, he establishes himself there. There'll be a covenant that will have been uh, entered into with Israel and, and so forth and a peace treaty. And then in, in the middle of the tribulation, something happens that Satan, or should I say actually the Antichrist at that point, well, let me just put it this way, uh, that the, the leader of the free wor of the world <laughs> at that point, will receive a deadly wound. He's going to go down. It'll appear that he dies or is dead. And next thing you know, he's going to resurrect or rise again. And when he does, he's going to be Satan incarnate now. Okay? Because it, it coordinates. It's interesting how, how the, the passages kind of coordinate there. You, chapter 12 uh, of the book of Revelation, we see that Satan's cast down and uh, he's no longer permitted in the heavenlies. He's cast down to the earth. And it's kind of funny. It'll be, it'll be kind of correlate with this break in the tribulation. So he's cast down out of the heavenlies. There's a battle in heaven. And then Satan rises here uh, incarnate in, in, in the Antichrist. So here he is the last three and a half years of the tribulation period. Great tribulation now. So we've got a lot of problems there. And that's when all of this starts to take place. That's when this mark of the beast comes into play. That's when you have all of this mess. I mean, he'll, he'll, it'll, it'll all be pretty much peace and safety and wonderful stuff going on. That first three and a half years, nobody will really think a whole lot about it. But as we move forward in that tribulation period, then all of a sudden things really unravel and it becomes a real problem. So that's kind of the, the direction of it. Okay, you see the timeline, see where it's all taking place. Now, uh, it's good to know that none of us will be there for that if we know Christ our Savior. Won't be there. Uh, we're, we're, we're gone. Now, there are some that believe that the rapture takes place in here, in between the tribulation, in that three and a half. Before great tribulation, we'll be here for the first three and a half years. That's called mid-trib, mid-tribulation theology or doctrine. It's not biblical. It's not scriptural. And then there's some that believe in post-tribulation. They, 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 they mess up uh, because there's, uh, it appears there's a resurrection of, of Jewish saints here at, at some point. Uh, and, and they kind of mix it all up. But nonetheless, the fact is, is that we have pre-tribulation. This is when we go, right here. Okay? Just uh, even as Enoch was taken out before the flood, we'll be taken out for the tribulation period, okay? That kind of thing, all right? So nonetheless, we won't have to go through that in the least, all right? We're, we're good to go then. All right? <clears throat> I almost asked if there were any questions. That could take us about an hour and a half. <clears throat> the truth. Let's talk about the truth here for just a moment. Revelation 13, verse 16 through 18. All right? Um, 
in, in that particular passage, who'll read that for me? I know it's up there already. I mean, you can read it from your Bible if you want to read it from there. I don't care. I think that's the King James Version, I believe. I know it is. Come on, take it easy now. Take it easy. Keep your seats. All right? Anybody? Yeah, go ahead, brother. Would you read that for me, please? <clears throat> All right, here in the passage, we're going to note a couple of things. And we talk about the truth, we're talking about the Word of God. And uh, in the Word of God, we note some things about the passage. First of all, we see the policy that's going to be instituted. Verse 16, it says that He causeth all both small and great, rich and poor, and uh, uh, free and bond to receive a mark in their right hand and in their foreheads. So the policy is going to be everybody's going to have to receive this mark. That's as simple as it is. They're going to have to receive the mark. They're going to have to take it. Well, it doesn't matter what your socioeconomic status is. You're going to have to take the mark. Everyone's going to be required to take it. Everyone. No one gets out of it. That's a policy. It's going to be instituted. It's going to be enforced. He's going to be persuading people. Notice the persuasion in verse 17. No man, he says that no man might buy or sell save that he had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. So what he's saying is you're going to take that mark or you're not going to be able to buy or sell. You're not going to be able to function in that, that, that cashless society that they're going to probably be in at that point. We know it's one world currency. There's a good possibility it may be a cashless society, and that's whether it'll be one world currency all right. Uh, and, and if it was cashless, can you imagine if it wasn't cash? If you couldn't take money down to the grocery store, you had to use a credit card or you had to use your chip in your hand. What if that was the case? Think about it. You couldn't buy or sell without that then. I'm just saying the possibilities are endless. What does it mean? There's going to be an actual mark. I'm confident of that. I believe that. Uh, so I don't think it's just a chip in the hand that you can't see. I think there'll be an actual mark. But nonetheless, because why you say that? Because the Bible says so. But nonetheless, uh, it's going to be pretty persuasive. It's going to be pretty persuasive. You know, uh, you want to you eat? Take the mark. You want something to drink? Take the mark. Uh, you, you, you know, you want your kids to be able to go to school? Take the mark. You want to you you function in this culture, the society in which we live, the world in which we live? Then you have to take the mark. That's all there is to it. That's all there is to it. Now, it doesn't say that in this particular passage, but, the, but later on in the Word of God, what we learn as well, you talk about persuasive. If you don't take the mark, we'll just cut your head off. That's what it says. You put on a guillotine, your head will be cut off. Okay, that, that, that's pretty persuasive, isn't it? Pretty persuasive. All right? So that's the policy, the mark, the pers- persuasion. Man, if you don't take it, you're not going to function. Matter of fact, your life's at stake. We'll be tracking you down, hunting you down. Then there's the precaution, though. Notice he says, here is wisdom. Here's wisdom. Let me, let me, let me, let me give you some precaution. Let me, let me caution all of you, he says. Um, let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. And his number is 603 score and 6. So the number is a man. It's a man. Okay? So, it, it, so very clear. He says, I just want you to be aware of what we're dealing with here. Now, this is going to come into play in a minute. I'll, I'll explain it a little bit more in a moment. But that's pretty interesting to me. So, so far, the truth, we see the policy, the persuasion, we see the precaution. In Revelation 14, 9 through 11, who will read that? Because we're going to pick up a couple other points here real quick. Will read that for me? Yeah, go ahead, brother.
detailed disappointments with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels, <coughs> in the presence of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment ascended up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night, who worship the beast and his image, and whosoever refuses the mark of his name. Okay, so we have the policy, the persuasion, the precaution. Now we note the problem, verse 9 and 10. Again, uh, uh, you know, if any man worship the beast in his image, receive the mark in his forehead and hand, same shall drink of the wrath of God. The ra- you're going you're to deal with the wrath of God. Well, that's a problem. That, that, that right there is a real problem. Okay, now, we go on to notice in verse 11, the plight. Not only is there a big problem with that, but he goes on to say, And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. They have no rest day or no night, and worship the beast in his image, whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. So what they're saying is it's an eternal damnation. It's not just like God's going to spank you and it's over with. It's not like that. There's a real problem here. You're going to have to endure the wrath of Almighty God, but then you're going to endure it forever. That's your plight. That's, that's your fate. That's what you're going to have to deal with the rest of eternity, taking this mark. That, that's, that's, you know, that's, that's not good at all, but obviously. Now, again, this takes place after we're gone. This isn't anything that you have to worry about if you put your faith and trust in Christ. It is something we have to deal with when we consider loved ones, family members, friends that do not know Christ, however. We have to keep these things in mind. Someone says, well, you know, we're going to, you know, I've watched a few of the movies. I've seen how it works. You know, you get, you know, you go into the tribulation, you watch, uh, you know, a Hagee film and, uh, you know, John Hagee film on, on the tribulation and you see that, that, he explains what was going down prior to the, to the rapture. And now that you've seen his video, you'll realize you don't want to take the mark of the beast now. And so you won't take it and you'll, you'll live through it and you'll have to deal with it. But let me tell you something. If, if you've heard the truth and you've, re, you've rejected the Holy Spirit's prompting for salvation, I mean, you've been convicted of the Holy Ghost and you rejected Christ, let me tell you something. You will believe the lie. Matter of fact, the Bible says in 2 Thessalonians that you'll believe the lie because God's going to send it, so you do believe it. Right. Amen. So don't buy into that mess where I'll have multiple opportunities. I've been in church my whole life. I've had opportunity to be saved. I've chosen not to. I've lived my life, done whatever I wanted to do. Man, if you've been exposed to the gospel, you've rejected the gospel in Jesus Christ, let me tell you something. You will receive the mark. You'll take it, and you'll, you'll put it right on your forehead or on your hand, and you're going to have to deal with the consequences of it. It's just reality. So, so it's not time to play games with God here. We're drawing nigh to the end of our time. There's a good possibility Christ could come back at any moment. That trumpet could sound. That sky could split. We could be gone. Okay, so what is it? They made the mistake, those that received the mark, of placing too much stock. Listen to this. This is important. They made the mistake of placing too much stock in this life and miscalculated the resolve of God. What I mean by that is they're going to be in the tribulation period and they're going to they're gonna look at their loved ones and their families. And they're going to say, you know what? If I want my children to eat, I have to take this mark. You say, well, that makes sense. Okay. What's the consequence? Is it really worth it? I mean, this is what, we, this is what we're dealing with. That's the problem with those in the tribulation. When it's all said, you say, yeah, but they're going to be sent a strong delusion. Yeah, but they're going to believe. They're going to buy into the idea just like we do today that this is all that matters. This is really all there is. So what can we learn from them? What can we learn from them? 
Number one, sometimes we lose sight of the forest for the trees. I'm talking about us. Amen. We lose sight of the forest for the trees. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Okay, notice what the passage says. While we look not at the things which are seen. You know what he's saying? As a believer, you don't look at what you see here. This is not what you consider to be reality. This is just what it appears to be. Reality is eternity to you and I. You say, well, it isn't to me. I want to have this, and 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 I want to have this. That's my main goal. That's my main desire. What, what that, that's called covetousness. That's called sin. See, you ought to want what God wants for you, not what you want for you. And I don't want what God wants for me, not what I want for me. And the problem today is often in the world in which we live, we have bought into the lie that this is all there is. That somehow that, that what I drive and where I live and what I do and how I dress and how I, you know, the, the people I have around me, that is what it's all about. But let me tell you something. Biblically and scripturally, we have to be careful because as believers, the Bible says we look not. We look not at the things which are seen. This isn't what we count valuable. We don't count things we see as most valuable. Those are things that are going to burn up one day. They'll be gone forever. And we understand that. So we don't put too much emphasis in making our money. We don't put too much emphasis in the buildings we, we build. We don't put too much emphasis in the, in the, 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 the uh, relationships that we want as far as illicit relationships. We're not focusing on bad things. We're focusing on the good things. We want the things God says we need and what we, we should want. I mean, we got a world of people that think that putting a basketball through a hoop is what life's all about. If I can only be a professional basketball player and make millions of dollars and have people hanging on my shoulder and being able to live life the way I want, drive the Mas- Maserati, have a big old mansion, dude, that's living. That's what, that's what we're being, our, our young people are being taught. They somehow get that idea. But wait a second, on another scale, aren't we also the same way as adults? Somehow we think that if we can just get that better car or that nicer house or that new wife or that new husband, we'll be in good shape. That's what will make me happy. That's what will meet my needs. And you know what? That's the problem with the people in the tribulation period when it comes to the mark of the beast because they cannot see, they cannot see the forest for the trees. All they can see is the immediate. All they can see is their present need. All they can see is what they want. And as a result of that, they will take the mark of the beast. See, we're guilty of being nearsighted all too often as Christians in this life. We're nearsighted. We see things that are close, but we can't see far off. And that is a, that, that, that is a real problem in our lives if we get nearsighted. This little guy, he says, well, we'll look at him in a minute. But eternity seems like a dream. Seems like a dream to us. And, you know, and I understand that. I mean, this is all we know. But as we draw closer to the Lord, as we spend more time with Him, as we draw in more intimacy with Christ in our walk with God, then eternity becomes more reality and this life becomes that which we see passing away. Eternity seems like a dream instead of reality, of a reality. And as such, it often struggles to compete with the present distress of our life. We lose sight of it. So what do we do? We respond like the world responds to things. We get into a mess in our finances. We get into a mess in our health. We get into a mess in our relationships. We do exactly what the world does most often. 
Instead of turning to God, instead of truly surrendering, instead of being obedient to the Word of God in every aspect of our life, we turn around and we we try to figure it out on our own. We try to do just like Moses and some of the other saints. We take things into our own hands. We got to fix the problem. We got to deal with it. And I'm just as guilty as anybody. Let me tell you, I'm a problem solver. I like things to be fixed. I like things to work the way they're supposed to work. But unfortunately, sometimes we just have to wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and He shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. He's got a plan. He's got a purpose. Everything for a reason. I'm over here praying this this evening for the service. I was was just praying, and I was saying, Lord, I just know. I I went home this afternoon a little later and was looking over my stuff, and I got to praying over it, and I thought, Lord, we're going to be speaking about Satan, and he hates to be revealed, to be exposed. It's like, Lord, just put a hedge of protection around me, around the church. Help us, Lord. I get in my car, start it up, me and my wife. I start to back out of the garage. I stop because I see all this ice in front of our thing. I thought, man, I don't want the kids walking on all that ice going up into the, to, to the door, you know, the front door, because they always have to use the front door. I don't let them use the back door. It's kind of like opposite with us. We, you know, we're a little bit crazy like that. I don't like them walking in my living room, tracking, I mean, walking through my garage. And, uh, you know, I like to keep the door shut because it's cold, you know. And, man, you get that garage door open, it seems like the whole house is cold, all that good stuff. So I keep that door shut. Sorry, you got to use the front door, you know. So they go to the front door. Well, it was all icy, so I stopped the car real quick, threw it in neutral, jumped out. I actually shut it off. I went, oh, I shouldn't have shut that off. And I went to turn it on. Key don't turn. Key don't turn. Halfway in the garage, halfway out. I'm like, what in the world? shaking the steering wheel and taking the thing like that trying to do all this stuff finally Sherry's like just get out and do that I'll try to get started so I jump out and I throw salt on it and all this stuff I come back in don't start I was getting a little ticked off I was like you gotta be kidding me man are you kidding me this is crazy if I just wouldn't have stopped that car and probably done it right out here then but we finally had to leave the car sitting halfway in halfway out and I told Sherry on the way in I said you know what that's funny I said I was just praying, saying, Lord, put a hedge about us because the Satan don't like it. He don't like it. And then here he does that to me. You say, that wasn't Satan. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I might go home and might start. I don't know. I don't know. That key may just turn. All I know is, is this. That certainly wasn't going to be good for my mental and my emotional and my spiritual outlook. If I'd, I could have easily gotten totally bent out of shape on that thing. I was, I, was, I was that close to getting there, too. I could have, man, I could have took a sledge through that windshield. I can do stuff. I could get mad like that. I, I just, here, let me fix that steering wheel. Wham! You know? I, I, could, I could easily do that. I could do that. But then again, what good would that do? Then, you know, I'd have to give the car to Dean or something. He'd scrap it, probably make 400 bucks. I'd be out with everything. So, anyway, the, the fact is, is that, is that, I don't even know what I'm talking about, why, but... We want to handle things our way. We want to handle things our way. We've got to fix problems. We've got to deal with it. We've got to handle it. You know what? Sometimes it's just the Lord. He's working and dealing. And Satan hates us. And he wants to destroy us and discourage us. So things are like that are going to happen. But if we see things the way the world does, we're going to forever be frustrated. Forever be dealing with it our way. It doesn't work out that way. Taking the mark of the beast will appear to be very practical, a very practical option in light of the alternative. Well, I mean... You got to take the mark, right? Your kids got to eat. You don't. You don't want nothing bad to happen to your family, especially if they're going to come cut your heads off. 
I mean, you can't fight the system, right? You can't possibly stand against the whole system. And what do you expect me to do? Watch my children die? What do you expect me to do? Watch my wife die? Me die? What good would it do if I died? Then nobody would be there to take care of my kids. You're going to rationalize this thing. You'll rationalize it just like the, the world would. The world, But we do that now. We rationalize things now. I can't stand for the truth because if I did that, I'd lose my job. I can't stand for right and I can't take a stand for Jesus Christ because my wife or husband may leave me. I can't take a stand for Christ in my home because my children wouldn't understand and they might get a little upset and then I'd have battles on my hands in the home. I don't want friction. I'm not going to make them go to church. I'm not going to make them live for God. I'm not going to put, put them in a spot where they have to dress like me and act like me and live like me. I won't do that to them. I'm going to let them make their own decisions. You know, that's called compromise. That's called rationalizing. That's called justifying things because it's just easier. It's just easier. Hey, I only rationalize when I have to. That's, that's what little Gumby Man says. Hey, I, I only rationalize when I have to. I don't do it unless I have to. Who determines when you rationalize? God's supposed to tell us when we're supposed to give, bend, or break. God tells us when to do that. Not convenience, not comfort, not ease. In a tribulation period, people will take the mark of the beast because it's convenient. It's comfortable. And they say, well, that's just the way it is now. Things have changed. Don't be an old fuddy-duddy. Take the mark. What are you supposed to do? Number two, nothing can equal the value of our soul. That's something we have to understand. We have to, always, we have to be aware of. Matthew 16, 26. For what is a man profit if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? I mean, we, we hear those verses, but in the tribulation, people will literally exchange their lives for these things. Without a doubt. And you know what? It's happening today. They're, they're, have you ever been out and, and you run into people that claim to be Christians and they have nothing to do with God's house, they have nothing to do with the Word of God? You just wonder to yourself, and, and you do. I mean, it's natural. You go, I wonder if they're really saved. I know you do that. I, I do that. I, I think that sometimes in certain situations. I, do I think some people like that can be saved? Yeah, I really do. I, I really do. However, my point is, they've sold something. They've sold out for some things. And usually, you know, we say here, no amount of power, prestige, or pleasure is worth a Christ-like eternity, a Christless eternity. No position, promotion, or profit is worth damning the soul. We know that. We understand that. I mean, but, but as believers, we need to keep that in mind also. I mean, we, we are created in His image for His glory. And we, we ought to want to please the Lord Jesus Christ. And that, that's, that, that means we've got to deny self sometimes. Matter of fact, it means we've got to deny ourselves all the time. That's not easy to deny self. But it's something that we're required to do and we're asked to do and, and demanded to do. Hey, listen, the reality is time in this life is not worth forfeiting life in eternity. Now think about this. Okay, of course in the, in the, the tribulation period, people are going to literally um, count their life more w- worthwhile than their soul. Right? They're going to count a piece of bread more, more important than their soul. Isn't that what Esau did? Esau, for a morsel of bread, um, um, for a morsel, basically, he, he turned around and sold his birthright. That's what they're going to do. And you know what? That's what we do sometimes. For, for virtually nothing in comparison. We're going to stand before God and for the rest of eternity, we're, we're, going, to, we're going to stand either, in a sense, we're, we're going to have the opportunity to go to heaven on a high note or a low note. <laughs> and, and 
the thing that's going to stand between us and, and ending on a high note is usually something as stupid as money, a relationship, um, uh, materialistic things. Um, just, you know, we can name a couple of them. Those are the things that are going to stand between us and, and true success in our Christian life. That's, that's what does it. Because you know what? This is all we know and this is all we, we, we think about. This is all we focus on. We spend so little time in the presence of God that this is all there is. And so life to us is all there is. And God says your life is not worth eternity. Think about all those saints that gave their lives back in, in the, 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 you know, the dark ages and the middle ages. And even in the early church. How could they do that? We often look at that and we're just amazed, aren't we? It's because they counted their life, as Paul said, but dung, that they may win him. When's the last time you counted your life but dung? said, I don't care about my life. All I care about is honoring God with it. What he wants to do with it is his business. I mean, think about that. Is that the mentality that we possess today? I dare say that it's probably not, really. Most of us are more concerned about what we drive than who's going to heaven and hell. Really, most of us are more concerned about the color of that carpet out there than we are whether or not, you know, we have a prayer meeting around here. I'm sorry, but I'm just being honest. I mean, spiritually, we're very little, very seldom are we really spiritually minded. Oh, we do spiritual things, but are we spiritual minded? That's a big difference. There's a big difference. And then we wonder why our children don't grab it, don't get it, when it's only on the surface. It's not in the heart. That's the difference. If I can give one piece of advice to every young person that's going to ultimately, you know, with their, I mean, I know they want to be married and want to have a family. It's, it's this. Make sure your relationship with the Lord isn't just exterior. Make sure you're not just going to church and reading your Bible and praying. Make sure you have a literally a real communion and fellowship with God. Make sure that when you get on your knees, you get in His presence. Otherwise, let me tell you something. You're a hypocrite. And your children will see right through you. They'll see right through you. That's just the reality of it. You don't get answers to your prayers, it's because you're not getting in the ear of God. Because God's still in the answering prayer business. Okay? Now, again, time in this life is not worth forfeiting life in eternity. Okay? We've got to be very careful with that, even in our own Christian lives. Finally, there are two, only two men that you can choose to follow according to the passage. And this is where I want to talk about this mark a little bit. Revelation 13, 18. Here is wisdom, he says. Let him that understandeth, that hath understanding count the number of the beast. The number of the beast. For it is the number of a man. And his number is six hundred, three score, and six. Revelation 14, 11, And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. They have no rest day nor night who worship the beast in his image. And whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Receiveth the mark of his name. The mark is the number of a man, the Bible tells us. It's the number of a man. Now, when you receive the mark then, you are identifying yourself as his property. That's, that's what you do. It, it, there's only two men you can follow. Okay, this, this little guy over here, he says, property of Jesus. Property of Jesus. But... When the Antichrist issues this mark, it's going to be a seal of property. It's his, his seal. You take it, 
it's, as he says it, it's the mark of his name. It's the number of a man, and his number is three, 603 score and 6. So when you take the mark, you're really saying, I'm his property. I'm his property. Who? Satan's property. You're not God's property, you're Satan's. The moment you take the mark, you're saying, I'm his property. That's serious business. See, the Bible tells us that God's going to have a mark for his, but that'll be for the Israelites, that 144,000 virgin men that are going to go about preaching. Those are literal, by the way. That's not figurative. And that's where the Jehovah's Witness gets all messed up. He looks at it and thinks that it's all figurative, that it has to do with us today. It doesn't. It literally has to do with Jews, 12,000 from each tribe. It's literal. It is literal. I'm telling you what, I've read a little bit of things on on the book of Revelation through the years. And one of the things people like to tell you is that it's an allegory. It's just, it's all symbolic. That's not true at all. The, The book of Revelation is mostly, mostly, there is some symbolism, no doubt about that. I'm not going to lie about it, but I'm telling you what, the gross majority of it is literal. And I don't care what they say. They can say whatever they want, but you just have to go back to Egypt there and look at those ten plagues. Tell me what those were. Was that cyber attacks? No, not at all. That was literal attacks. Listen, God's raining down some judgment, His wrath upon that, that in Egypt. And let me tell you what, when them frogs came up out of there, them frogs came up out of there. That wasn't representative of some kind of virus. It was literal frogs and those flies and so forth, literal. You know what? The book of Revelation is more literal than people want to give it credit. You take that mark, you're literally saying, I am the property of Satan. That's what's going on in the tribulation period. And that's a mess. But listen, we're supposed to be the property of Christ. Amen? Isn't that a blessing? We're the property of Christ. He says, no man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and mammon. You can't. Now, that's an interesting statement, isn't it? You can't. He doesn't say you, you, you can juggle the two. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot. You cannot. You cannot. You cannot. What's he saying? You can't serve both. Now, we're born again. We've got Christ in our life. We're on our way to heaven. Praise the Lord for that, if indeed you know him as Lord. But let me tell you something. You cannot serve, you cannot serve God and mammon. If you start serving the flesh, you're not serving God then. I don't care how much you think you're serving God. If you're doing selfish things, if you're living on for self, if you've not consulted the word of God, if like the Israelites in our study, you didn't counsel with God and you just do things on your own and you take your own directives. Oh, I'm going to marry her. I'm going to marry him. I'm just going to do things my way. Oh, I'm going to do this. and I'm going to do that. And I'm going to become this and become that. And I'm going to take charge of my life. Well, who's in charge then? You can't serve God and mammon. You can't do it. It's one or the other. Who are you serving? You know what? Fortunately for us, praise the Lord, we don't have to go through that tribulation period. We don't have to deal with the mark of the beast. We won't even be here. But we do have to deal with who we're serving today. We have to make those decisions. I encourage you, make the right decisions. Don't get caught up into in seeing the forest uh, you know, for the trees. Missing the force, I should say. Not seeing the force for the trees. See, see an eternal view. See things out of ways. What, you know, how many families have had started off in God's house and then left the church and where are their children today? Amen. Don't, don't have that narrow-minded view. Don't have that short-sighted view of things. Please see the big picture. Please recognize there's more to it than you and your comfort and your convenience. 
or your feelings. There's so much more at stake here. And, and eternity's at stake even for you and your family and everyone else around you. God help us to not just see the immediate, but see the future and to really see things God's way. Um, Father, we come to you. We thank you again for just all you do for us. Everything we do, Lord, we're just trusting you. We're leaning on you. Father, we're just depending on you to give us leadership. 